how I came to Mansfield. We moved to Mansfield in 2002, a month before my youngest daughter was born. And several people told us about, about the church. And we started going one Saturday evening and looking through the bulletin, um, seeing the request for, for Big Hope. And um, I kind of felt called at the beginning, put it off for a while. Then there was another request for volunteers, and so that's when I uh, decided to sign up. For me, personally, um, when I felt that calling, I am adopted. I was adopted when I was 10 days old. Somebody was there to, that felt called to give me um, a future that if I wasn't adopted, I, you know, I may not have had. And so that's kind of why I wanted, why I think I felt called is because I wanted to provide that voice and, and tell them, hey, look, there's this whole other big world out there. Every time I come to ponder and walk down the halls and whether I see, you know, a kindergarten class, second graders, they all have smiles on their face. They're all happy to be there, enjoy coming to school. But this is a happy place. They come here and they see this brand new building and what the community has invested in them. There is definitely a sense of pride uh, amongst all the staff and, and the kids. My match, my little has, um, actually has both his parents at home. And, and I think that's what surprised me the most was is that, you know, he seemed to have a very happy uh, home life. You know, they sit down and have dinner together, you know, much like we do with my family. I was merely coming along to just be his friend and be his buddy, somebody that he could talk to as an adult. We've spent a lot of time reading What's aside? to deal with some of his learning disabilities. My little brother has dyslexia. Break it down. So I've kind of used that experience Enter. to dealing with my younger brother to help Aaron because he also has uh, a mild form of dyslexia. It's got an ER on the end, so Part of those. producers. Please. I'm just having trouble on three. Okay. The U.S. paid taxes. You filed your taxes? No. Oh, that should be Texas. T-E. Probably picked up a couple of reading levels over the years. Texas. We'll do some reading math activity for a little bit and then we'll spend half the time you know playing a game or just talking he weighs rocks we just picks it up and carries it no he uses a forklift. oh he uses a forklift aaron has changed a lot i mean he's gone from a second grader to a fourth grader so in those two years he has matured and we talked about the future and what the future looked like that hey college is an option too so you don't have to be pigeonholed into doing this one thing your entire life he can dream any dream and if he puts his mind to it that he can achieve that dream so you were paying attention to class weren't you sort of sort of i benefited most from knowing that you know not everybody has the opportunities that i had it's helped me to probably be more reflective and just listen and not say okay well instead of doing that do this and that will fix your problem and then we can, we can go on to the next problem. Kids will tell you if they want help to fix a problem or they just want to talk about something. I think that's the one thing that I've probably learned the most. You know, see things more from their perspective and then remember their viewpoint and let them know that you've been down that road and, and you can relate to them. It's something that I think we're all called to do 
and that is to, you know, lift each other up and, and help them so that they know that other people care about them. My name is Troy Lestina. I work for the City of Mansfield as the Assistant Finance Director. I'm a mentor and I have big hope. begin by welcoming you to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David and I serve as a senior pastor here. Welcome to those who are here in the chapel as well as those who are upstairs in the loft for the Well Cafe, especially if you're a first-time guest with us. Uh, we're delighted to have you as a guest. We'd love for you to stop by. Uh, the Connecting Point located just outside your worship space. We have some information and a gift for you and we're really glad that you are here. We're also excited to celebrate Big Hope and the partnership that we have with Ponder Elementary School and the many who serve in that capacity as mentors and prayer partners. If you participate in Big Hope in any way and you're in either of our worship spaces, would you stand up so that we can recognize you and just celebrate you today? There may be a few in here. We got one over here, there. There's some upstairs as well. Thank you. And while we're on that, let's go ahead and recognize another group of people. We are near the end of school. Did you know that? <laughs> Teachers, did you know that you only have a little bit of time left uh, in the school year? If you are an educator in our community serving in our school district in any way, would you please stand so that we can recognize you for your service to our kids day in and day out? Thank you. Thank you. One of the reasons that we wanted to share Big Hope with you is not only to celebrate this year, but also to let you know that we're already preparing for next year. And so if you, in hearing Troy's story, if something stirs within your heart of, I would like to serve as a mentor, or I'd like to be a prayer partner, outside all of our worship spaces, you can find more information about Big Hope today. Uh, many who would love to share with you about that program and see if uh, that might be a place where you might fit and serve uh, your community in this really special way. A couple other things I just want to lift up before we begin. First, you've probably already heard that we have a team in Wimberley this weekend. It's doing disaster recovery. Uh, we also heard yesterday about a need for additional flood buckets here in our area. And so there's a new center that's being opened up for that in Eastland, Texas. If you don't know where Eastland is, you take 20 west and you end up in Eastland, which I know sounds a little bit funny, but that's what happens. And uh, if you are interested in supporting those who have been affected by the spring storms, you can pick up this sheet at, again, any connecting point, which has all the information of what goes in those flood buckets. We have a truck that will leave Tuesday morning uh, to take those buckets to Eastland. If you can get it back here to the church by then, that's great. If you can't, go ahead and do it and bring it back because we'll have more that need to go out to other areas. I think we have a truck going the following week to the Hillsboro area. And so, again, easy way where you can support those who've been affected by the spring storms. And again, I have my third grade Bible up here with me. I'm not going to preach from this Bible because this is the Revised Standard Version, which is just a little bit better than King James in terms of its un ability to understand it. But this is something that's in my library, and it's a treasure. It uh, represents to me the church's commitment to me to raise and bless me as a kid. And I appreciate that, appreciate that church and the way that they poured their life uh, into me. 
We pray that's the same thing for each and every kid who received a Bible this week and that it'll be something that they treasure for, uh, for the rest of their life. And parents, if you are going to be sitting down with your kid and sharing some favorite scriptures, I just want you to know that I put on Facebook last night five scriptures that you might want to highlight in your child's Bible. And so if you're not on Facebook, shoot me an email, pastordavid at fmcm.org. I'd love to share that list with you and hope it's a blessing to you as you share in that moment with your child as they receive their second grade Bible. We're beginning a brand new series today, so if you have your Bible, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where I would like you to turn to. There are also some blue Bibles available for you that you can find uh, in the seat in front of you, and there's some upstairs in the loft as well. You'll see the page number on the screen of 2 Samuel chapter 11. The new series that we're beginning is called Unlikely Heroes. And as you think about that word hero, my guess is that many of us, when we think about hero, we go to where modern day comic books have, take our minds when we think about heroes. We think about superheroes. And I know there's some superhero fans here. How many of y'all went to see the new Avengers movie? Okay, I know there's a lot of hands upstairs in the Well Cafe. Uh, the, the new Avengers movie, which released about a month ago, in its first weekend, domestically, it grossed $191 million. Uh, which places it second all time in terms of an opening weekend with uh, domestic gross. Uh, do, would anyone like to guess what the number one movie is? It was, what was that? No, it wasn't whatever you just said, Ronnie. It was, uh, it was the 2012 release of Avengers. That's why they made a second one. Um, uh, and that movie went on worldwide to gross $1.5 billion. So... Superheroes are kind of popular. We, we like superhero stories, but that's not what we're talking about in this series. We are talking about regular, ordinary people just like you and I, uh, people whose stories that we find in the Bible, we're going to look at five characters over these five weeks, of people who we would say would qualify to be in the Hall of Fame of Faith, heroes of the faith uh, that we're going to look at. Some of these that we're going to look at are very familiar to you. You're going to know a lot of their stories. Some of them may be brand new. You may have never heard of them uh, before. But as you think about what they did and also your own life and what it might be for you to live a heroic life, I want you to hear this quote from Mother Teresa. This is what she said. She said, Not all of us can do great things. But all of us can do small things with great love. And so what we want to tap into as we move through this series and we look at these characters, we want to tap into that idea that we all desire to live a significant life. And all of us are capable of doing small things with great love. We're all capable of heroic acts in living in that way. And we're going to look at how that came to be in the lives of these characters. We're going to begin today with, the, with the King David. Now, David is one of those who you probably know a little bit about. You at least know, if you know nothing else about David, you probably know what happens in 1 Samuel 17 when, when David meets a very large Philistine warrior named Goliath. That's right. Most of us have heard that story before. We know about David and Goliath. But I want to start by telling you why David's story makes him an unlikely hero. So when David was a young boy, this is going back to about 1 Samuel chapter 11. When David was a young boy, Saul was king of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel. And what you need to know about Saul is this, that Saul was a man who looked the part. 
In other words, if you had seen him walking down the street, you would have said, that guy's a leader right there. I mean, not only was he tall, I mean, he had physical stature, but he was also known as a great warrior, a man who looked like someone who had great physical strength, those attributes that we often associate with great leaders. That's Saul. That was who he was. And so when Saul was, was anointed the first king of Israel, everyone went, well, of course, it's Saul. I mean, he's a guy who looks the part. He is someone who just exudes this idea of strength and leadership. And, and although Saul looked the part, Saul's reign didn't go so well. Saul eventually fell out of favor with God. And so Samuel, the prophet, was sent to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. Now, Jesse kind of knew that Samuel was coming. He had an opportunity to prepare for this. And so this is how Jesse prepared for Samuel's coming to his house to anoint one of his sons as the king of Israel. He prepared seven of his eight sons for that moment. He got them all dressed up, looked really nice. Here comes Samuel. He's going to pick the next king. And when Samuel arrived, he went from the oldest to the youngest. And Samuel went down the line and he went, not it, not it, not it, not it, not it, not it, not it. And he got to the end, and Samuel was a little bit confused, like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is where I'm supposed to be. God sent me here. One of Jesse's sons is supposed to be the next king of Israel, but it's not any of these guys. What's going on? And so Samuel, a little bit confused, asks Jesse this question, do you happen to have any more sons? I can have someone hiding here that we can, because I'm pretty sure I'm in the right place, but none of these guys are the ones that God has called to be the next king. And Jesse probably also a little confused because he'd set this whole thing up, said, well, yeah, I actually do have another son, the youngest David, but I didn't invite him. I mean, we left him with the sheep so that the other sons could be here. And Samuel says, go get him. And so Jesse goes and he gets his youngest son, David, the runt of the family, if you will. And Samuel says, that's the guy. That's the guy. So that's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the humble beginnings. This is how David's reign as king over Israel begins. He begins as the guy who wasn't even invited to the party. He begins as the guy who no one expected anything from. He was the eighth and final son. He was uh, you know, the youngest who everyone just thought, well, he'll take care of other stuff that we don't want to deal with. That's who David was. He wasn't anyone who walked down the street and people went, whoa, look at him. That's a guy who's going to be king one day. He was someone who people thought nothing of, including his own father. And from these humble beginnings... David's life, David's new journey as being the anointed king of Israel begins. Now, we're going to jump forward very, very far into the life of David. Again, that's, that was a, a 1 Samuel 11 that I was just telling you about. You can read more about that there if you want to. We're going to jump forward to 2 Samuel chapter 11. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm just going to read you the first verse of 2 Samuel chapter 11, which will tell you how far David has come. I want you to recognize and understand how far David has come from these very humble beginnings. uh, Verse 1, three sentences says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So again, we have David, 
this young shepherd boy, the runt of the family who no one expected anything from. He, he has anointed the next king of Israel. We fast forward very far into the life and the reign of David. And, and 2 Samuel 11 chapter 1 tells you how far David has come. In the springtime, it says, when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Now, why would David do that? Why, in the springtime, when the kings are supposed to be off at war, why would David be in Jerusalem? Well, the answer is really simple. That David had finally come to a place in his life and in a place in his reign as king over Israel where he was comfortable, he was carefree, and he was completely secure. He was comfortable, he was carefree, and he was completely secure. Now, as you hear those three words, I want you to think about this. If I were to say to you, for this next week, what we want you to be is just totally comfortable and carefree and completely secure, how many of y'all would think that'd be pretty cool? Like if I would send you an, e an email earlier and said, if you come to church this weekend, I promise you, next week you will be totally comfortable and carefree and completely secure. I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? That sounds like a pretty good deal. Some of you are looking forward to a vacation you have planned this summer because if only for a few days, you're going to be totally comfortable and carefree and secure. Some of you are at the stage in your life where you're beginning to take a little, pay a little bit more attention to where that number is when you look at the bank account or, 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 the, or the investment summary because you're getting pretty close to that number that you've been searching for and longing for for many years, that place where you have this sense that I can retire and I can be comfortable and carefree and completely secure. Some of you have young kids at home or, or kids that maybe you're in that stage where you're just thinking, Lord, help me. Lord, help me, please. I don't know what I'm doing here. I got to, you know, you are thinking if I can just get them to this next place, if I can just get them to that next grade, if I can get them to that next phase of life, if I can get through those teenage years, if they can graduate high school, Lord, please, if we could get them to college, if they could get a job where they moved off the payroll, if you could, if you could just, I would be comfortable and carefree and secure. Some of you have this sense that if you could just get your marriage past this hump, past this stage that you're in right now, past this, this disagreement that you found yourself at, if we could just, we could be comfortable, we could be carefree, we could be secure. Some of you may be starting out in life and you're thinking, if I could just get that job, if I could just find that person to share my life with, I could be comfortable and carefree and secure. Here's what I want you to hear. David, 2 Samuel chapter 11, found himself at the place where most of us would love to be, where most of us invest a lot of energy pursuing. He was at a place where he was completely comfortable, carefree, totally secure, secure to the extent that the things that he used to do in his life, he didn't have to do anymore. Because he was now the king, the person with all the authority and the power, and he could send his army out while he just laid back and relaxed in Jerusalem. And here's what you need to know about David's life. It's at this moment that everything falls apart. Okay? This is the moment when everything falls apart, when he finds himself at the place where he is finally comfortable and carefree and totally secure. So let me just give you the PG-13 version of the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 11. If that rating doesn't fit you... Just do this, okay? But anyway, 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is in Jerusalem. And because he's comfortable and carefree and secure and has nothing else to do, he is hanging out 
on the roof of the palace just looking at his kingdom. Probably sitting back, just enjoying himself, relaxed, nothing to worry about. And while he is there, he sees a woman. He sees a little bit too much of her. And because he sees a little bit too much of her, his eyes begin to linger on her. And because his eyes linger for a little bit longer than they should, David finds himself turning to his servant and saying, could you go get her for me? And because David is completely secure in his authority and reign as king of Israel, the servant says, sure, I'm not doing anything. I'll go get her for you. And the servant goes to the house of this woman, and he says to her, the king would like to see you. And because King David is completely secure in his authority and power, the woman says, okay, What are you supposed to do? It's the king that's called you. And so she goes to the home of David, and they spend time together. And after spending time together, Bathsheba, the woman, ends up pregnant. Now, if you don't understand how that happens, ask a trusted adult. But that's what happened. They spent time together, and Bathsheba ended up pregnant. And in the process of this, David also finds out that Bathsheba is married. This is not good. Bathsheba is married to a man named Uriah who is serving in David's army. He's not in Jerusalem. Why? Because he's out fighting David's battle. He's out where David should be. Away from, he is away from his wife. And so David, a little bit concerned, says, wait a second. I'm the king. I can fix this. So he calls Joab, the commander of the army, and he says, could you please send Uriah home? I would like to grant him a weekend pass. I'd love for him to come home, relax, just enjoy himself for the weekend, go home, spend time with your wife, wink, wink. And David thinks this is just going to fix everything. But Uriah is the only one in the story who didn't get the memo that you're supposed to do whatever the king says. Uriah instead says to David, no. No, I'm not going to do that. My brothers are still out there in the fields fighting this war. And I'm not going to come home and enjoy the comforts of home and, 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 and spend time there when my brothers are still there out there fighting, fighting this, this great battle. And so David goes to plan B. He calls Joab and he says, Joab, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put Uriah in the front lines. And when the battle is the fiercest, I want you to pull the rest of the troops away from Uriah so that he will fall in battle. And because David is comfortable and he's carefree and he's completely secure, Joab says, okay, that's what we'll do. And Uriah is killed in battle. After Uriah is killed in battle, David calls Bathsheba and brings him to his own home. And at the end of chapter 11, this is what we find. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So all throughout chapter 11, David is just leaving behind this path of destruction, and no one is doing anything to stop David. Then we get to chapter 12. It says this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. 
and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. Isn't that sweet? It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now, given what you know has just happened in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and now hearing this story that Nathan has told, does everyone understand what's going on? I mean, is everyone catching the hint here? Is everyone understanding what Nathan is trying to convey to David? He's hoping that David's going to make a connection, right, between this story and what's actually just happened in David's life. Well, look at how David responds. Verse 5, it says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now, if you were Nathan at this point, or if I was Nathan at this point, this would be the point where I would say, well, here's my business card. I'd like you to think about this story. And if anything connects with your life or your heart, just give me a call. You know, I mean, that's probably because this is the king, right? I mean, this is the guy who no one has said anything to, and now Nathan has brought him to the place where David is stuck. He has heard this story. It has compelled him to anger. He has expressed this anger. Look at what Nathan does. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Now, let me just pause and ask you this question. Do you ever find yourself wanting to run? from what you know is true. You ever, you ever face that temptation in your life? Let me ask it this way. Have you ever looked in the mirror or seen a picture of yourself and said, I don't look like that. There's something wrong with this mirror. That camera must be broken. That's not quite what I look like, right? Like I've only got one. No, that's not, what? That's not right. You ever found yourself saying that? There's something wrong with this mirror. Your camera's messed up. Have, have you ever had somebody point out something to you in your life, reminding you of something that you said or you did, and you, and you thought, that's not, that's not really what happened. I don't remember saying that. Although there may be some vague recollection of it in the back of your mind, you find yourself just kind of pushing that away a little bit and maybe hiding or deflecting what you know to be true. If your answer is no, one of two things is true. You're either lying to yourself or you're not a human being. You're an alien from another planet. That's, that's the only thing that I can come up with. That is a universal temptation we all face, right? I mean, we're faced with truth. There are times that we just internally, we just may 
oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to face, I don't want to see that. Don't, please don't go there. That is a, we all face that. That's a universal temptation to, to run. So knowing that about us, all of us, I want you to think about David at this moment in his life. This is a man who has more power and authority than you will ever have in your life. This is a man who had left a path of destruction that we find in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and no one said anything to David about it. No one stood up. No one said, are you sure about this king? No one said, maybe that's not such a good idea. No one stopped him. No one had the courage to speak to him the way that Nathan has just spoken to him. And so what does David do when he's faced with the truth? Look at verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. David, the most powerful man in all of Israel, the man who had the authority to say, leave me alone. I don't want to hear any more stories from you. He says, you're right. You're right. That's me. I did everything that you just said. You're right. A couple observations from the life of David and one question I want to ask you today and then we're done. The first observation is this. What we think will fulfill us is often what destroys us. What we think will fulfill us is often what destroys us. Comfortable, carefree, and completely secure sounds really, really good to most of us. And yet those are the conditions that lead to David making a complete mess of his life. What we often think will fulfill us is often what destroys us. And that should be for all of us a sobering thought. We should all pause for a moment and think about that idea. And, and here's why. No one has ever come to me after destroying their life and said, yep, I've been planning that for a long time. <laughs> no one says that. It's always a surprise. It is as much a surprise to the person who has left that destruction as it is to all the people around them. It's always a surprise. And none of us is immune or protected from this truth. All of us are vulnerable to chasing after things that we think will fulfill us that, will, that instead end up destroying us. You're vulnerable to that. I'm vulnerable to that. What we think will fulfill us is often what destroys us. That should lead us to a place of reflection, of asking ourselves, what really matters in my life? What is it that I'm really chasing in my life? What is it that I am believing is going to fulfill me? And is that really true? Or is it possible that I'm going to find myself at that place and look around and go, well, what was all that for? What we think will often fill us is often what destroy us. But here's the second observation I want you to make from David's life, that facing truth can save your life. 
Facing truth can save your life. If you want to keep reading, beginning in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you can read the next couple chapters. You can read about what happens in David's life. And here's what you're going to see. Uh, while, day, while this moment leads to David's repentance, while this moment restores his relationship with God, it doesn't protect him from the mess that his life is going to become. It doesn't protect him from the consequences of the decisions that he makes. And if you keep reading on in 2 Samuel, you're going to find yourself in again and again going, wow, that really stinks. That's horrible. That's terrible. I hope that never happens to me. All of these consequences that David had to bear in his life because of the decisions that he made in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But because he faced truth, he restored his relationship with God, and it was his relationship with God that gave him the courage to face the mess that his life would become. He didn't have to walk through it alone. God was there with him, supporting him, nurturing him, encouraging him as he walked through the mess and dealt with the consequences of his actions because David had the courage to face the truth and to say, you're right, Nathan. It was me, I admit it. I have sinned against the Lord. I confess it. And I want to live in a new way. So here's the question for you and the question for me. Have you organized your life so that you can hear truth in your life? Have you organized your life so that you can hear truth in your life? And I would encourage you to think about this question in two categories of your life. I'd encourage you to first to think about the category of the practices of your life. One of the things that you are doing here in worship by being present here in singing and offering and listening to the scriptures and the, and the scriptures shared is you are opening yourself up to truth. We practice listening to truth when we come into worship. And we ask, you should come to worship with the posture that says, God, help me to see truth, especially, Lord, in those places where I don't want to see it and I don't want to hear it. This is one of the ways that we invest in that process. If you take this book and you invest in reading this book on a regular basis, which we hope and pray that you do, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you invest yourself in the reading of these words, part of what you're doing is you're saying, God, I want you to speak truth into my life. So speak to me, encourage me, affirm me, redirect me where you need to, Lord, but bring truth into my life. When we spend time in the busyness and chaos of life, just taking a moment to sit in a chair and take a deep breath for four or five minutes, that is a way of opening ourselves up to truth. There are practices that need to be a part of our life if we're going to face truth. In our the reason that David was able to do what he did is not because in this moment he had great courage. It's because he had built a life where he invested in that practice of opening himself up, for, up to truth. Now here's the second thing. The second category is in the category of relationships. Do you have someone in your life who is willing to risk everything with you to tell you what you need to hear? to be honest with you, to be truthful with you, to, to, to help you see what's really going on in your life, to confront you at times, and to say, I know where you want to go, but you're heading in a very different direction. Do you have a relationship in your life with someone who is willing to risk everything to tell you what you need to hear, to tell you what is true? If you do, if you do, Here's what I know is true about that person. They are probably a little annoying. 
right? I mean, they're probably a little annoying. They tell you what's true. And there's times where you just, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to go there. They're probably a little bit annoying, but you need them in your life. And so you should say thank you to them. Now, that's not an excuse to be annoying to one another. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand me. But that's just a part of it. Do you know why marriage is so hard? Because part of God's purposes in marriage is to give you someone who will help you see what is true. It's hard to hide when you share the same bed. That's part of what the difficulty of marriage is. Is your spouse, part of the design of that relationship is to help you see what is true. We all need people in our life who will help us to see, here's what's really going on. Help us see ourselves as we really are. And in that relationship to also bring with them the grace that says tomorrow can be a new day. Tomorrow can be a new day. You can begin to move in a new direction if you're willing to face what is true. What we think will fulfill us just might be the very thing that destroys us. And none of us is immune or protected from that. But truth the real truth about ourselves, about who we are, about where we're heading, when we have the courage to face it, when we have practices in our life and when we have people in our life who help us to see that, that truth can save your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the heroes of our faith. We thank you for David. For his life, Lord, which speaks to us about what it means to live a heroic life, to, to have the courage, Lord, to see ourselves for who we really are and what we have really done. To have the courage, Lord, to confess and to commit to live in a new way. We pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one of us with that same courage that you would protect us, Lord, from ending up at a place we never intended to go. Help us, Lord, to develop the practices in our life, to invest in the relationships in our life that will help us to see what is really true so that we, like David and like the others that we will study in this series, Lord, that we might live a life that would not only bring you pride and joy, but a life, Lord, that we would look at and say, we're proud of that as well. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.